Good morning, y'all. Oh, man. Sometimes when I don't know what to pray exactly, it's good to just go back to the basics. Uh, I love praying different versions of the Lord's Prayer. There's just something fun about it for me and edifying, and it's, it's almost as if God told us to do it. That's my Bible joke. Good one, Jones. Morning, y'all. Um, man, we're finishing our series called Basic this week. Uh, it's, I, I've, actually, no, we've got one more week of this. I forgot. I'm finishing my part this week, but there's another week of this. Uh, and I've enjoyed every single uh, thing that we've done, and I have learned so much and grown so much from this. Uh, this is, we're like in the midst of a two-part series in the middle of a four-part series, and this two-part series is on the Holy Spirit. And last week, we started a conversation on the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you weren't here, I hope you go back and listen to what we said. But uh, this is the kind of stuff that is really fun to talk about. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. But he can be confusing sometimes. Because when we talked about this last week, we talked about it in, in our... Um, in our little deeper uh, sermon discussion thing that we do on Wednesday nights, by the way, you're, you're invited to show up for that. Uh, we, uh, we talked about this. Different people from different denominations all have different ideas about the Holy Spirit, right? Amen. <laughs> Not only that, they say, well, this person's idea is wrong and this person's idea is right. And so we end up arguing about the Holy Spirit, which I'm 99.97% sure was never meant to be the point. Not only that, we use a lot of different words when we talk about the Holy Spirit. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a movement of the Holy Spirit. There's empowering of the Holy Spirit. There's all these different words. And so sometimes it's like, okay, uh, what's going on here? Is that a movement or a filling? Is that a baptism or an empowering? Like, I'm not exactly sure. It's almost like going to a Bethel concert. I don't know whether to lay down or stand up, or I'm not, not, not real sure what to do. There's all these different things, and so we don't really understand whether or not that's happened. And then some people will say, well, well, you don't have the Holy Spirit if this particular thing hasn't happened to you, or blah, blah, you do it. And so we're just like, what? Like, how do I know if I'm getting this right? How do I know that I have this, this Holy Spirit, this amazing power inside me? How do I know? And sometimes it's fun to believe that God is actually bigger than the rules and regulations we put on things. Like we take this incredible power called the Holy Spirit, we try to put him into a box, and then we decide who has him and who doesn't based on a bunch of rules that we made up. And it's possible, just possible, that God is bigger. This passage came up at our, uh, at our group on Wednesday night, and it's Luke, it's Luke, chapter, um, Luke chapter 11, verse 9, and it says this. So I say to you, and this is Jesus talking, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives... The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door is open. Which of you, your fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? What kind of dad would do that? Or if he asked for an egg, you'd give him a scorpion? If you then, though, are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? Does this sound like some coded deal? Some tricky deal where you have to, you know, stand on one foot and summon the invisible swordsman and do things right and do this walk like this. That was a different thing we had to do. Does it sound like that? 
It sounds to me like if you ask, you receive. It almost, the more I read this book, I almost get this idea that he is indeed this good father who desires to pour out good gifts on his children. And it's not about our, you know, silly human denominational tricks that get us the Holy Spirit. It is his grace. And it's his love that he desires to give us this. Even if a, if a child doesn't know exactly how to ask a father for something, if he doesn't use the exact right words, do we punish him or do we give freely because we're fathers who love our children? This power, the spirit, if he's something you want, I don't care what you've been told, he is very, very, very attainable for you. Acts 2, 38 uh, man, I, I, can't, I can't stay out of Acts for some reason. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off, all for whom the Lord our God will call. He says, Repent, which is turn, we talked about this, turn from your will and turn towards God's will and be baptized. And it says in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus says, Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Does it sound to you like anything else is necessary to receive the Holy Spirit? You repent and you're baptized. You turn from your way. You turn to God and you receive the spirit of the living God. It is impossible to be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you have accepted Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else you need to do. If you gave your life to Christ, Christ gave you all of himself, and that includes his spirit. Romans 8. He says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if you have Christ, then you have the spirit of Christ. He is in you. Do you know how many times I've said that in church over around 11 years? 43,000. I have said, <laughs> I counted because I'm good at math. The Spirit of God is in you. And, and, and I, what I realized as I was working on this message was I almost say that flippantly as if we all understand it. As if that makes sense. As if to tell someone, hey, God is in you. You know, and they're like, oh, I, that makes perfect sense. So let me just, let me, get, let me get your Christian boy story straight. God created an earth. Sin came. So God put himself in the womb of a virgin. She had a baby. The baby died on a cross and saved the world. And now that Savior of the world lives in me. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Can't believe I didn't get that. I mean, God is in you. Do we ever stop and think about what this means? Because I, I think this is something that if we fully understood, it would actually affect the way we live. Uh, Jesus was walking with his boys, and we talked about this last week. And he says, it's better that I'm going away because Jesus was around them. 
But around someone is different than being in someone. And God was around his people, but around them was different than in them. So there's something important about those two little letters, in, I-N. God in us must be different than God around us because it was so important that Jesus Christ died on a cross and went away so that he could come back and inhabit us. So what does it mean that God is in you not around you. And here's what I came up with. I was working out this last week, obviously. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I was drinking water. And I began to think about the difference between water in me and water around me. What does water around you do? Like, well, what, what does water around you do? So I say, like, all right, water around me, like if I'm hot on a hot day and I jump in a pool, I am momentarily refreshed, right? Water around me makes me feel good. If I pour water on my head on a hot day, it feels good, right? If you see an ocean, you, you remember the first time you saw the ocean? How'd you feel? It felt good. You're like, man, water around you gives you some good feelings. Water around you can make you calm. Water around you can make you peaceful. That when you first get to the ocean with your kids, man, it's amazing. And you feel this just peace. And then when you get back in the car and drive 13 hours back home with the kids stuck in the car, do you still have that peace? Of course not. If you say you do, you're, you're just a liar. So you, you don't have that peace. You, I mean... You want to put them out of the car at Forest City or what? When I'm fishing on a lake, man, I am calm. When that fish breaks my line, the calm is gone. Water around me has a very temporary feeling. Water around me can give me an emotion for a moment. Water around me can, can, can cool me off in the moment. But no one in the world has ever told you to pour eight ounces of water on your head eight times a day, have they? The, you, have you ever read anywhere that says the American uh, Health Society wants you to take eight cups of water a day, eight eight-ounce cups of water, and we want you to pour it on your head? Have you ever heard that? You know why you've never heard that? Because it wouldn't do anything for you. But what they tell you, by the way, this is 64 ounces of water, by the way. What they do tell you to do is take eight eight-ounce cups of water, and these aren't eight-ounce cups, but I forgot about this prop, so I had to ad-lib this morning. So if you're a math person and this is bugging you, just chill out and quit being a nerd. What they do tell you to do is take eight eight-ounce cups of water a day, and do what with them? Anyone know? Drink them. Eight, eight ounce cups of water a day and drink them. And why is it more important that you drink them than pour them on your head? Because water in you is different than water around you, isn't it? When I drink water, when I drink these eight, eight-ounce cups of water a day, something actually happens inside of me where my chemistry and my biology is changed, right? And it's weird because I already have water in me. You all have water in you. But the amount of water you have in you is not sufficient to do what these eight cups of water a day are going to do for you. And you can't say, well, I had a drink of water once. Surely that's enough. No, it wasn't. 
The first drink was important, but that first drink is not enough to do what these eight, eight ounce cups of water will do for you on a daily basis. Because water in you is different than water around you. Water in you cushions your joints. It helps your kidneys. It's good for weight loss. It's good for your skin. It does all sorts of things. It does some other things too, but I forgot the other ones. But there are a ton of things that water in you do. But water in you actually changes your biology, which is very, very different than water around you. And so they tell us to drink eight eight ounce cups of water a day. And let me ask you this. Christy Starrett's out there. Christy, can you instantly see everything that water is doing inside of you? course not. I don't, I believe it's cushioning my spinal column and brain, but I can't really see that. Now, are there some things you can see? Yeah, there's some things you can see, but I can't, I mean, I can see my shiny skin, but I can't see the things that water is doing inside of me, yet I drink the water anyway, even when I can't see what it's doing. Why? Because I have faith that some science goes beyond what I can see And so I drink the water even when I can't instantly see the results, right? And y'all are looking at these eight cups of water and you're going, who in the world has time to drink eight cups of water a day? And the answer is, I married her. (laughs) She drinks this much water every day. She has a keg on her back and it's full of water, hoses. Like, and why does my wife drink this much water a day? And the only thing I can come up with is because she actually believes in the science even when she can't always see it. She believes in her health so much that she is committed to this. She believes in what it's doing for her system. She believes in the benefits. She believes in what water can do. So she makes time and makes it a priority to consume water constantly, even when she can't instantly see the results. Who has time to do this? Someone who believes water does what science says it does. I tell you all of this for a reason. There is a big difference between the Holy Spirit around you and the Holy Spirit in you. There's a massive difference. God around you can make you feel good for a moment. God around you can give you, can give you the feels on a Sunday. God around you can comfort you. And let me tell you this. There's no God away from you. That's not an option. I hate, to, I hate to tell the world this, but the option is never no God. No God is not really a choice. Because there is a God, and the Bible says only a fool says there is no God. No God is never a choice. You have two options when it comes to God, and that is God in you or God around you. And the Bible says God makes the rain fall on the evil and the the good. So everyone is experiencing God. Everyone, everyone in the world is experiencing God, whether they want to believe it or not. God away from you is never an option. The only option is God in you and God around you. And one of those will quench you for a moment. And one of those will change your life. There is a difference between God in you and God around you. John 7, this is good, man. This is Jesus. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, has rivers of living water flowing within them. 
I've got a river of life flowing out of... Y'all remember that song? You Baptists know it. You don't dance to it, but you know it. (laughs) By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. He says, you have, a, you, have, you have a river of water flowing through you. And he says, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We have a river of water flowing through us, not around us. We have a river of life flowing through us. And so that should change us. If the Holy Spirit is in you, he should change you. He can't not change you. If he's around you, he might change your day. If he's around you, he might change your mood. But if he's in you? He changes you. You're not being kind. You are kindness. Do you see the difference? You're not acting patient. You are becoming patient. Do you see the difference in that? You're not not pretending to love. Love runs through you. Like this is who we are. It's not who we're pretending to be. It's not who we're acting like. We are becoming more like Christ because Christ is inhabiting us. And so there are days when I don't feel patient, lots of them. But in those moments, I choose patience, believing that while I choose patience, I am actually becoming patient, that I am choosing of my free will, I'm choosing of my free will to be patient and believing that of his power I am becoming patient as I choose it even when I do not feel it because I believe in things I cannot see. Do you see the difference? The Holy Spirit in us is incredibly different. And I was thinking about this, if if you're not experiencing this transformation, if you're not experiencing peace and joy and patience and kindness and all of these things that you should be becoming, there's only two reasons that I can think of. One is you have not given your life to Christ. Because if you give your life to Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. So if you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, if you're not becoming Christ-like, then either you have not given your life to Christ, and you know whether or not you've done that, or or you thought that one drink of water one day would be enough to sustain you for the rest of your life. And so you're not being refilled with what you're already filled with. You're full of water, right? Your body is like, I don't know, some, some percentage, let's call it 80, 80% water. And you still drink water every day because even though you are filled with water, to get the benefits of water, you must continue to drink water. So listen to what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. And this is pretty cool because he writes this letter to a church. And this is what he says. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes this letter to a church 
to people who had Christ, to people who were full of the Spirit, and he tells them, be filled with the Spirit. And someone at that church read it and said, well, we got the Holy Spirit the day we repented and were baptized. And he said, I know you've got him. Now be full of him. And they're like, what? They needed to understand. They needed a constant refilling of what they were already full of. Just like water. One experience with the Holy Spirit one time is not enough to sustain you. And so I've I've had people like, so you mean like I got a, when I received the Holy Spirit, I only only got a little bit of him? Like I only got his hand? I didn't get the whole Holy Spirit? No, you got the whole Holy Spirit. There's not parts. He's not parceled out. He's God, so he's everywhere all the time, full force, right? He's all God all the time, 24-7. So you got the whole Holy Spirit. But you must continue to fill the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. Just like you didn't get a molecule of water. You got all of water. But in order to continue experiencing the benefits, you must keep moving forward. So in honor of this incredible analogy of eight eight eight-ounce glasses of water, I'm going to give you eight things you can do to continue to be full of the Holy Spirit. And I can promise you this, if you're not doing some of these things or all of these things on a regular basis, you are not experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to put this list up there, and the first thing you're going to say is, who does that? Like, who has time to do all these things? And the answer is, the person who believes that what God says is true. Just like my wife has time to drink eight glasses of water because she believes the science is real even when she can't see it. For the people who travel the narrow path, for the people who believe in moving by faith and not by sight, they do this even though it makes no sense to the rest of the world. They don't add this into their schedule. Their schedule revolves around this. And so, eight things you can do to continue filling the Holy Spirit that's already in you. Number one, how Sunday school is that one? Bible study. Like, read it. Knock the dust off that thing. Read it. <laughs> read the Bible. We talked about this in, in, our, in our Wednesday night group, too. And don't read it as, as an academic thing. Don't read it so you can walk around saying, I read the whole Bible. Congratulations. Did any of it sink in? Like, are you living any of it? We're spending, a, I think, a week, right, just on Matthew 5. And and in our group, all we're doing is reading Matthew 5 over and over and saying, God, speak to me through this. Speak to me through this. You're not going to get to heaven and God say, how much of the Bible did you read? He's going to say, did you make disciples and did you live like a disciple? But that can't happen if you don't spend time in his word. The second one, prayer. How much time are we spending in prayer outside of dinner? I talked to our men's group the other night. I think that's where I said it. I don't know where I said it. But we must pray for something beyond our, our food. I think God gets it at this point. He's like, I know. You're thankful for the food. And when we show up every night and do these writ prayers over and over, be present at He's like, stop. Just stop it. Don't sing me the same song you've sang 5,000 times. Imagine you come home to your spouse and every day you say the exact same thing to them. Hello, Christy. How was your day? Now get in there and make my food. You know. That's not what I would say, but some of you guys would. Y'all know I do the cooking in my house anyway. 
But really, imagine, what kind of relationship is that? Where you come home and sing the exact same song as your Stepford spouse? Like, say something new to him. Pray a prayer outside of dinner that is actually about the things going on in your life other than your mashed potatoes. All right? Anything. He's, he so wants to have a conversation with you about something other than what's on your plate. I'm not saying praying for dinner is bad. Pray for dinner, man. But even mix that one up a little bit. Like if last night you thanked him for the potatoes, tomorrow thank him for the collard greens. Just mix it up. Self-care. This is so important. We're doing the Daniel plan right now. You cannot be fully connected to the Holy Spirit if you are negating taking care of the temple. If, 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 you, if you think that your body and your, we talked about this, these things are together. So to be connected, listen, I am at my weakest when I am tired. If I don't sleep, I'm the most vulnerable to attacks from the enemy. I'm the most likely to get bad thoughts in my head, most likely to lose my patience, most likely to be tempted. When I do not take care of myself, I am open to attacks. The fourth one is repent daily. Like go to God and say, God, if there's any wrong thing in me, get it out. Show me. And if, if you can't see the sins in your life, ask your friends. They can probably see them. But daily, God, give me clean hands and a pure heart. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. The fifth one says practice. And what that means is practice the fruits of the Spirit. Patience, peacefulness, kindness, gentleness, humility. Practice the things that are growing inside of you. And what I mean by that normally is with your mouth. The Bible says a lot about the words we use. So choose your words wisely and speak patience and speak kindness and speak humility and speak gentleness and believe that while you are speaking it, you are actually becoming it. Practice these things with the way you speak to people. Number six, connect. You were not designed to do life alone. I don't know how many times we've said this. I don't know how much energy Chris and Katie have spent making it happen. But if you are disconnected from the body of Christ, then you are not experiencing the full power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Number seven, serve. This is probably one of my favorite ones. Do something. Yeah, anything. We sit around, God, give me, give me the gift of hospitality. Give me the gift of hospitality. Give me the gift of evangelism. And we're praying this prayer in a closet by ourselves. And God's going, why? So you can tell the teddy bear over there how nice he is? Like, go do something, and God will give you the gift you need to do what it is you're doing. If you want the gift of mercy, go hang out in a hospital and pray for people who are in rooms alone, and God will empower you with the gift of mercy to do what you're doing. Don't pray this thing in a closet and wait for God to do something. Go do it, and God will meet you there. Number eight, forgive. Forgive yourself and forgive other people. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Maybe one of you today just needs to know that. Just, you got to let it go. You can't live in the past. You have to forgive yourself and believe that you are chosen and sacred and special. Because if you don't believe that, then you can never fully embrace the power that God has designed you to experience. Man, I've got, I've got no beef with AA. I think it's an amazing organization. But... The I am an addict thing over and over. Like, I, again, I get why they're doing it. And I'm not knocking that system. But for me, I was those things. I am no longer those things. 
Like, I still struggle, but that's not who I am. There's 64 ounces of power right there. 64 ounces of ways you can experience the fullness of God in your life. And who will do it? The person who wants to travel the narrow path. The person who wants to walk through the narrow gate. And so let me close this um, Holy Spirit conversation with the truth about what I would say to my small group if I got the question from Katie. I don't know if y'all were here last week. We talked about if I was in a C4 Connect group. And in my group was, um, I think John was in my group, and Paul, and Barnabas, and Peter. Y'all remember talking about this? And I said, if I was in a group with those guys, and, and Katie gave me the question that said, um, tell me about a time you have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, my group went around, and they all had amazing stories. And my story was, I cried in church one time, and they started laughing at me. Um, now let me tell you the story I would really tell. So... I went, um, I guess it was about a year or so ago, I went to the hospital to visit my cousin who was dying. And uh, some of you guys remember this story. And uh, it was the cousin, many of you know I have one leg. I lost it when I was seven. This was the cousin I was riding in the car with. Her name was Helen. And uh, because of that, my family had some very bitter feelings towards her. She was 16 and speeding and showing off, and I shouldn't have been in the car with her anyway. She smashes into a tree. I lose my leg. I die twice. It's a whole thing, right? You can imagine if you're a parent how this feels. It's hard. And, and, and I think, like, I always thought I wasn't mad, or, but as life went on, I realized I was. Like, I was angry at this girl because um, my leg is, is my greatest insecurity. And you got to blame somebody for that. And so I realized I was blaming her. So she's dying in the hospital. She's been coming to Grace, right? And she's accepted Christ at Grace. Her and her husband have been coming here for, at that point, I don't know, let's call it a year or so. And uh, she was completely away from God, comes here. And so she calls and says, I'm dying. She's got cancer. She knows. I mean, it's, 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 it's over. And um, she says, I want to join Grace before I die. I want to formally join the church. I never got to do that. So we go to her hospital room. And it was uh, myself and, I don't know, Dusty and Rachel and Danny and just a whole, whole crew of us go to this lady's hospital room. And on the way there, I am praying. I'm in the car by myself, and I'm praying for the gift of tongues. Like, I'm praying. I'm like, I'm like God, give me the gift of tongues. I want to go in this lady's room, and I want to pray this powerful prayer. And I, I mean, I, I want to say that it was sincere and like, humility in my heart, but it's probably some pride too, because I wanted to do this and I knew I was going in the room and, and I wanted the gift of tongues and I wanted everyone to feel good and I wanted to do something powerful. So I'm praying, God, give me the gift of tongues. God, give me the, and I walk in the room and I will never, like, I will never forget this. I walk in the room and there is a feeling of a wall, like, and I'm like, okay, I have no idea what's going on here. So we begin to sing and, and whatever. We're singing some songs in there, of course, because where they go, there's music. And so we're singing some songs in there. And, and while they're, the song's wrapping up, I always know when it's my time. You can always tell because they just go instrumental and kind of get soft. Y'all can always tell me when it's my time. And so I start to pray. And I'm like, all right. Here it goes. I start to pray in fairly contemporary English. I was like, what? Tongues. 
<laughs> I'm ready for this. And I was like, come on, God, I'm ready for this. And I hear myself praying, and I'm like, maybe I'm speaking tongues, but it sounds like English to me. And then I was like, no, that's legit, that's English. That's not tongues. And so in the midst of praying in tongues, God tells me to do something that he's never told me to do before in my life. He says, I want you to get down on your hands and knees. And I want you to wash her feet. And I was so overcome with the Holy Spirit that I'm on my hands and knees and I'm washing this woman's feet. I've never done that before in my life. Um, it's not tongues. It's not what I asked for. I'm just on the ground washing her feet. And I get up from that moment and, I, and I'm heading out. The music wraps up and I, I'm, I'm still like, well, you know, what, what did I do? What, what, what was that? And Danny, uh, Danny says, Tommy, do you have any idea what just happened? And I was like, I washed her feet. And Danny said, you just washed the foot of the woman who took your leg. She said, do you realize the healing that just, that just took place? Do you realize the forgiveness that that woman now feels? You realize the chains that just broke in this room? I have seen the spirit move. I have felt the spirit move. And it wasn't that doors were blown off a of prison, but a proud man got humbled. Forgiveness happened. Chains fell. And eternity was changed. Guys, I believe this stuff is real. And I believe it can really happen to us. If God had chosen to give me tongues that day, he could have certainly do it. He could do it every once. But he chose what was necessary for that moment in time. So knock, and the door will be opened to you. Seek, and you will find. Ask, and the Spirit will be given to you.